Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. What happens when we talk to strangers? Keo Stark. There are genuine emotional benefits when we connect with strangers. We live in pretty insular ways, unfortunately, in terms of class and race and ethnicity. And when you talk to someone who's different than you, you are forced to see them as an individual in a way that you wouldn't have before. So when you encounter somebody as an individual, when you learn something about who they are, it opens you up. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? So, Richard, the theme of this show is talking to strangers. And our guest is the author Keo Stark, who we both just met about two minutes ago. Well, a former stranger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what do you say we skip our usual introduction and just jump right in? Yeah, good idea. Uh, hello, Keo, and welcome to How Do We Fix It? Hello. So, Keo, you live in New York, in Brooklyn, I think, and we're recording this at our so-called studio on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. My question is, how many people did you talk to on the way up here this morning? I would have to say possibly zero, um, <laughs> only because uh, I had to be on TV right before this, and I was nervous. And yeah. so I stayed in my own bubble, as people do legitimately. And they do in New York, yeah. absolutely, and in yeah. other big cities. So y- your book is When Strangers Meet. So make the case. Why talk to strangers? Why should you change the behavior of our listeners? (laughs) There's a few reasons that I really, really believe in strongly. The first one is that there are genuine emotional benefits when we connect with strangers. When I say connect, I mean anything from a mutual glance to a hello to a longer conversation. There's an amazing power in being seen. We live in cities we don't see each other. And when you are seen, when you notice that someone is acknowledging you, it's a momentary bond and... What you call fleeting intimacy. Exactly, yeah. I mean, we all have a need for intimacy. And there are pieces of intimacy that we can only get from the people we're very, very close to. Then there are the parts of intimacy that are connectedness and belonging. And you get those from these brief acknowledgments. You get a brief sense of being connected to other people. Is there an example in your life of 
how talking to a stranger made a positive impact on your life. There are these little incremental positive effects from every conversation and every interaction. Um, some of the situations where it's had a really positive effect uh, have been asking for help or asking for directions because a being helped like that is a whole other level of feeling connected, but also probably 10% of the time I end up going for coffee with the person who I got directions from one time. Um, my partner and I were at a hacker space in Philadelphia and one of the people who was there said, you know what? I have all these pinball machines at my house. Do you want to come over and play pinball? And we did. And it was weird because there were also like a laundry line with wash drying, but he in fact had four amazing pinball machines. And so that's how we spent our afternoon in Philly. Now, just to bring the, the listeners up to speed, what led to all this is you gave this great TED talk that's gotten way over a million views. What I want to know is how did this start for you when you were growing up? Were you one of those kids who just talks to adults all the time? Yeah. Well, I came from a family where people talk to strangers a lot. I lived in like a mid-sized city in upstate New York, western New York, which is more like the Midwest and not like New York City. And my father was a city planner. He spent a lot of time talking to people and having to really listen to them and acknowledge their needs that were real to them, their backyards, their roads, their sidewalks. My mother was a nurse in the emergency room. So again, she had to really pay attention to people for her work, that she was accountable for listening to them. So I think that's why our family was very friendly in a way, because they were tuned in all the time to people they didn't know. So yeah, I grew up, I say hi to everybody. Of course, my parents told me not to go anywhere with anyone that I don't know. You know, when I was growing up, you don't eat the apples you get for Halloween because there might be razor blades in them. Um, So, and I have a five-year-old and I I don't tell her about the razor blades, but I tell her that- Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I, I do tell her the same thing. Like, you can't go anywhere with anybody. Um, you shouldn't eat anything that someone gives you. But a lot of parents are really concerned about stranger danger. Absolutely. About kids talking to strangers. How do you handle that? Well, that's the thing. I feel like when she and I walk around the city and take the bus, which we do a lot. Your five-year-old. My right. five-year-old. Um, you know, I'm modeling that behavior for her. That's what. That's how kids learn things. They don't learn what you tell them. They learn what they see you doing. She sees me making choices about who I talk to. She asks me, you know, is that a friend? You know, do we know them? Are they our neighbor? Why are you saying hello? And, you know, sometimes the answer is no. It's just nice to be friendly. And sometimes she wants to say hello to people. Sometimes she turns her head into my armpit and, you know, refuses to talk to anyone. And I tell her that's okay. I say, you never have to say hello to anyone you don't feel good about. Have you had anybody who did not talk to strangers and changed their practice as a result of what you said? And have they said anything about how that changed them? Yes. And even close friends of mine, Uh, my best friend read the manuscript and she said, you know, I started to pay attention to this more, making an effort. You're right. It's really weird. It did make me feel better. And then at the conference, 
the next morning after the talk, someone came up to me, and I think they were someone important, and I only figured it out later. But um, isn't everybody it, important? I, I was hearing that in my head, not like that, but somebody sort of famous and with power. And he came up to me and he said, you know what? We tried it. We went for a run this morning and we just said hello to everybody who passed by. And it was great. Apart from great and feeling a little yeah. bit better, what are some of the other benefits? Well, I think there are political benefits to more people doing this. So we live in pretty insular ways, unfortunately, in terms of particularly class and race and ethnicity. And when you talk to someone who's different than you, you are forced to see them as an individual in a way that you wouldn't have before. And the more people who are different from you that you see as individuals, the more rich your experience is of anybody you put in that category. And there are all sorts of sociological principles about this where there's one called mere exposure that just uh, having a positive experience with someone generalizes to the entire category of people. So you have this great phrase, you say, it's important to use perception instead of categories in encountering people. Explain that. So we have a kind of shorthand when we pass by people on the street, when we see them even at a party or in a bar, you know, we take a look and without really realizing it, we sort of clock it like, you know, male or female, white or black or brown, old or young. And we make assumptions based on that. So when you encounter somebody as an individual, when you learn something about who they are, it opens you up. Even if it's just the guy you buy your coffee from. I live in a the edge of an urban area and my house is on a street that a lot of people walk their dogs uh -huh. up and down. And it's a wonderfully diverse group of people. And I love being out in my little tiny front yard, um, you know, trying to get grass to grow or something. <laughs> and just, I always talk to every person who yeah. comes by because there aren't that many of them. You know, if you're on a crowd in New York street, it's one thing, but if somebody's coming by every two or three minutes, it seems appropriate sure. and, and it seems rude not to at least give that nod and a smile. If not, a you, you don't get much yard work done. <laughs> no. And that's okay. I, I mean, because I, I want to feel connected. Even if I don't see them again, I still want to feel connected to my neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this thing you talk about, scenario that we've all experienced. You're walking towards somebody, you catch their eye, you maybe give a little smile or a little nod. You know, guys will kind of give that sort of chin raise. Thing. <laughs> um, and then you'll look away. You don't keep looking at them. And there's a word for this. Sure. So the word is, uh, or the phrase is civil inattention. And if I can just back up a tiny bit. So there's a sociologist um, named Irving Goffman, who a lot of people probably read in college. And he started to pay attention to how unacquainted people, in his words, interact in public. And he has a lot, a lot of writing about this. And he observed that particularly among pedestrians, there is this idea of civil inattention, which means that we are civil to each other. We have ways of acknowledging each other's presence. The polite nod. The polite nod. And then we give each other space. So that's the inattention. And the inattention in a crowded city, Not we don't say hello to people in a packed crowd, but in a place where you have the experience of crowdedness, the inattention is also very polite. It's important not to make demands of people's time and attention. I want to ask you about people not like me. I'm six feet tall, fairly self-confident, um, outgoing guy. What about people who've 
had a rough experience in their life or who do, for legitimate reasons, live in fear of strangers? Again, like parenting, it's very individual. And I'm not going to tell someone who's had a bad experience with strangers that they should just blithely be more open to them. I do think that you can get over some of your discomfort among strangers by experimenting with this in very safe circumstances. So public place, full daylight, you can even be with someone and then see what happens. You're walking along the park and say hi to somebody's dog. It's important to have a sort of exit strategy when you're doing this. So one of the great things about doing this in passing, you know, with pedestrians on the street or in a park is you can leave. You can just walk away. If somebody's saying things you think are vile, you can just say like, okay, bye and leave. Do women have to be more careful than men? Yeah. Um, women have to be more careful than men and men have to be more careful than women in certain ways. So, you know, there's the category of men who are just hassling women on the street. And I, I can't speak for or to them other than to say, stop it. Um, for perfectly friendly, well-intentioned men, don't say hello to a woman if she's not making eye contact. Don't say hello to a woman whose body language is closed. Because even if you mean nothing harmful, even if all you're saying is hello, somebody who has experienced over and over again, being hassled, having their body commented on, having sort of salacious invitations thrown at them, is not necessarily going to hear the difference. And that's not on them to change. It's on men to change. What do women have to be careful about that, that men don't? making things that are considered invitations. So, you know, you have to be careful not to be inviting gross comments, let alone any sort of physical interaction. Um, It's really sad. Yeah. You have a good friend, a, a woman who travels extensively, I believe, in Central Asia. And Africa, yeah. And goes in on her own to communities where she doesn't know a soul. How does she do that? And how does she make a safe space for herself while still speaking to strangers? Absolutely. So if you go to a place where you know absolutely no one, probably hang back and observe a little bit to get a sense of who it might be okay to connect with. And then if you're in a culture where it's okay to make eye contact, do that. Smile or ask for help. Asking for help is a great way to both get into a conversation and also to get someone's sympathy and empathy. Yeah, the way you put it, I think, was you need someone to see you as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for remembering that line. I I don't have it memorized anymore. (laughs) So now, you know, we're a show about solutions. In your book, you talk about these interactions, like the first step could just be to smile at someone. And you also say that sometimes breaking the rules a little bit around the edges can really help facilitate some of these kinds of conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a progression of ways that you can connect with people from eye contact to saying hello to asking for help. And what you're talking about is sort of breaking the fourth wall. So civil and attention also exists, for example, when we're waiting in line or when we're sitting in a cafe. We're pretending we can't hear each other's conversations. We're pretending we're not all cramped together. So for me, and I'm the extreme outlier here, but for me, if I overhear people talking about a movie that I saw, for example, that had, let's say, a 
crazy explosion scene in it and they start to mention it, I might turn around and break that fourth wall of civil inattention and say, oh my God, I couldn't, how do you think they even did that? And then those people might look at me like, why are you talking to us? They might say, I know, really. And then indicate physically that we're done. And then sometimes I get into like an hour long. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Conversation with people. Tell us about the power of dogs and babies. Oh, dogs and babies. So dogs and babies can be a form of triangulation, uh, which there's some third thing between you and a stranger that you can comment on. Um, Dogs and babies are sort of a special case. You obviously, it's very easy to say, oh, cute dog. How old is your dog? How old is your kid? There's also a very special thing with dogs and babies. You can talk to the dog or the baby, not their owner or caretaker initially. And that means that they're a social conduit to the human, or sorry, the the person, um, the adult. And that's a much easier slide into it. So the first thing you do is you say to the dog, oh, sweetie, you look at you, you know, you're so excited. And then you can tell how the person responds, whether they actually want to get into it or whether they want to move on. Some of this is about having a richer life, learning about other people, making making your world bigger. But I guess my question is, it's not just being nice. Sometimes it's helping the world run a little better, making people around you a little safer. It absolutely is. And so there's two things about that. The first thing is with street harassment, it turns out that the response of bystanders is incredibly influential, Mm -hmm. both in how the woman feels about what's just happened or whoever is being hassled and the behavior of the men. So any, even just a sort of a scant look at the person who has been hassling someone has an effect, again, in both senses. Calling someone out on it, saying like, hey, don't talk to people that way, is incredibly important. Then I had an experience recently where I heard a woman just saying really horrible racist things to somebody. And I was very flustered and I thought like, I'm not going to let this happen. But in the moment, I couldn't really think of what to do. So I just said, don't say things like that. That's not nice. And that was not super effective. Um, There were all kinds of other things I could have said. She yelled at me and said, but he's an asshole. Oh, sorry. She yelled at me. and (laughs) We're not on the the radio. (laughs) Right. So she yelled at me and, you know, said like, but he's a jerk. He rips people off. And I was, I should have said, 
he can still be a jerk, but it doesn't matter that he's, uh, you know, whatever ethnicity, he's, he's not a terrorist. So I'm dying to ask you, yes. what was it like to do a TED Talk? Oh, my gosh. You know, I'm not somebody who has spent a lot of time doing public speaking. So for me, I have to say it was terrifying. Um, you, you certainly didn't look terrified. Thank no. you. You look so relaxed. Thank like you. Like you're walking around the stage. You know, there's one thing. I mean, they really coach you. They uh-huh. they help you with your script. There's a voice coach who listens to you. So after it went live, what kind of feedback did you get? Um, I got great feedback. I was all along. I've been expecting more critique of the idea, and I'm not inviting you to critique me, but. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> um. Most people who bother to respond are really excited about it. And there's two versions of their excitement. One is people who think like, oh, I'm going to try this. Other people who already do this are so touched and they feel like they've been recognized. Their own emotional response has been given words. That means done. Thank you, Keo Stark. Wait, we can't be done. (laughs) (laughs) We're, we're over time. Uh, but okay. let me just, but I have a couple right. of things that maybe we can, we can squeeze stuff. in. Okay. Okay. Technology has changed all of this. And then when people are in those downtime moments, standing around waiting for a bus or whatever, people are often staring at their phones. And so in a way we've pulled away, we've made it a little bit harder to have these interactions. Yeah. It's a complicated one because yes, we all look at our phones. And when I teach this, I, the first assignment is go sit somewhere without looking at your phone for an hour. And it's That's what excruciating. You, call an, yeah. expi- you have these ideas for expeditions. Yes. So one of your, all your expeditions start with put away your phone. Exactly. Exactly. But for example, I get the question a lot about headphones. Now that we all have our headphones, somehow it's this new thing that we're tuning each other out. I don't know how old your listeners are, but we've had Walkmans for 35 years, I think. People have been walking around with headphones on for a long time. I think that the difference is much more the way that people use public space now when they have headphones on, when they're on their phone, they wander and they talk as if they're in private. And that's the thing that I notice much more than I notice that people are constantly looking at their phones. Keo Stark, author of When Strangers Meet, How People Who You Don't Know Can Transform You. I am so glad this book is not called 17 Ways to Talk to Strangers. <laughs> me too. And thank you for having me. Jim, one of the things that Keo Stark said in her TED Talk that I loved is this idea of using our senses instead of our fears when we approach strangers. That has implications not only for speaking with strangers in our daily lives, but also our our approach to politics. Yes. I mean, that's sort of... The backstory here, and one of the reasons we were interested in Keo is because of our passion to enhance communication between people who don't normally talk enough, and not just in in physical public space, but in the virtual space we all occupy, where, you know, I, I think you and I both really... <laughs> Instant. <laughs> so um, we have, a, we have a, a, another party in the studio here with us. Common, <laughs> Our Wheaton Terrier. <laughs> um, but... You know, we both, I think, really believe that, that people have retreated into their, their ideological bubbles. And it's far too easy to vilify people you don't agree with. Uh, sadly, you know, in this particular campaign, some people are giving others plenty of reasons to vilify them. But, but, but as a rule, 
being more open to how other people might see the world differently from you without assuming in advance what someone's going to think. Yeah, and also the other thing I wrote down during the interview, enlightened self-interest, which is something I try and live by. Yeah, <laughs> Whereas, yeah. Whereas, you know, it, it's, it's something that benefits all of us you to know, be you, a little bit more open. You know, my mom just turned 90, and so my sister's nominated me to kind of give the toast at her 90th birthday party the other night. And I talked about this book, about talking to strangers, because my mom was always that person. She would come back from every trip, every plane ride, saying, I met the most interesting person. And she'd get these people's entire life story. And I've, I've always thought that was a really wonderful thing. Be curious in other people, interested in other people. It enhances your own life, too. Well, that's our story, Jim. How do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And thanks for joining us. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And our music is by Lou Stravinsky. And visit us on our website, howdowefixit.me. The show is produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.